Good morning. Hey, go ahead and take your seats. It's good to be with you all this morning. Uh, my name is Jason. I'm the church planner resident here at Restoration Community Church. Um, and it's good to be to, uh, here to gather to worship, to worship God who loves us. Um, if you're visiting, I do want to say welcome. Glad you're here with us. Hopefully you are experiencing this place as a welcoming place. Um, so today I'll be bringing us God's word. Um, we will be continuing our sermon series in the Apostles' Creed. Um, if you're unfamiliar with the Apostles' Creed, it's a confession that was recited by the early Christian church almost 2,000 years ago. And it's a confession that many churches uh, still say today um, in a world that is confused about what Christianity actually is. Uh, the Apostles' Creed helps us to see what is at the core beliefs of the Bible. Uh, in the church, it's so easy to, act, to argue and to divide over things that aren't actually at the core of the gospel. And so what the Apostles' Creed is able to do is actually to direct you to what unites us to God and what unites us to other Christians in the world, past, present, and future. Um, so what I'm going to do is go ahead and read the Apostles' Creed for us, and then we'll look at our passage this morning, which is Hebrews 10, uh, 12 through 17, um, and then, which will explain our, pas our section in the Creed today, um, and then I'll pray for our time together. So the Apostles' Creed will be on the screen for us, um, or you can also follow along if you still have those uh, bookmarks. Um, it's on there as well. And then Hebrews 10 you can find on page 1006. Um, so starting with the Apostles' Creed, uh, follow along with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. And here's the section we'll be looking at this morning. Uh, he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will judge, come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and a life everlasting. Amen. And now looking at Hebrews 10, 12 through 17, starting in verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, thank you for a time to worship you, uh, to see one another, to point each other to Christ. Um, we pray for your spirit to be with us, to help us to see what is in your word, um, to help us to see you and how much you have done for us. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we're going to be doing this morning is to look at the ascension of Jesus and him sitting at the right hand of God. And as I thought about it more this past week, uh, this is probably actually the least focused on parts of Jesus' ministry. Uh, but what we actually need to know is that the ascension of Jesus is just as important as all the other things that Jesus did in his ministry. 
Um, so the question that I actually want to focus on this morning um, to ask ourselves is, why is the ascension of Jesus so important? Why does this 2,000-year-old confession decide, it's, decide to end its section about Jesus with his ascension? And what the Bible tells us is that the ascension actually helps us to understand Jesus and his relationship with the world and his church. Uh, so far in our sermon series, we've actually been talking about how important it is to know that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered, died, buried, rose again from the dead. These are all things that are well known to us and important, as it should be. But when it comes to the ascension, we probably can't say the same thing. Now, just to know how little we may know about the ascension, I want to think, I want you to think about uh, if, if, you've ever, if you've ever said this statement to yourself in one form or another. Have you actually said to yourself, Jesus, I'm so glad and thankful that you've ascended to heaven. Now, if, you've, if you're honest, uh, like me, um, I'll never, I've, well, I just kind of praise myself for be, being honest there. Didn't mean to do that. But if you're honest, uh, what you actually probably say is that you don't really say that to yourself. It's actually probably the opposite, right? Um, what I usually say to myself is, Jesus, why aren't you here? Or Jesus, if you were here, I'd have more faith, or that this wouldn't have happened in my life. Or if I'm talking to a non-Christian, it'd probably be easier to convince them about Jesus if Jesus were physically here by my side. It seems that having Jesus here would solve a lot of problems, um, and yet that is not what Jesus did. At the height of his ministry, after he rose from the dead, Jesus decides to leave earth. He physically left earth. Now, out of all the things that we know Jesus said and did, we struggle to know how to celebrate that, to celebrate that he actually physically left earth. On Christmas, we gladly celebrate Jesus' birth. On Easter, we gladly celebrate his life, death, and resurrection. These are all good things to do, but how do we actually, but it's not very often that we actually celebrate the ascension of Jesus. And yet, this is exactly what the Bible teaches us to do. The church needs to confess and celebrate that Jesus is actually in heaven and not physically here on earth. Um, so today, we're going to be spending some time to answer that question, why is the ascension of Jesus so important? Uh, we're going to be looking at Hebrews 10 um, to answer that question. And just so we have a roadmap of where I want to take us this morning, uh, we, there are three answers. Um, one, the first one is Jesus ascends to judge us. Number two, Jesus ascends to intercede for us. And three, Jesus ascends to bear witness to us. Uh, so just looking at our first answer this morning, Jesus ascends to judge us. Uh, look with me at verses 12 through 13 again. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. So here we see the Hebrew writers say an important aspect of Jesus' work. The final aspect of Jesus' work is actually not his death and resurrection. It's not his sacrifice for sins. That was the final thing that Jesus did for the world. Yes, it's true that Jesus said it is finished on the cross, but actually he's, not, he's only talking about the for forgiveness of sins. When he says it is finished, it's only applying to that actual work. What we see here is that the complete work of Jesus is more than just the forgiveness of sins. It's also the ultimate removal of sin and its effects from the world. After making his sacrifice, the text says that Jesus ascends so that he can sit at 
the right hand of God. The right hand of God is a way to say that Jesus has a position or a, a position of authority that is above every authority on earth. It is a heavenly authority that Jesus occupies. So by sitting in this position, he's able to apply what he achieved on the cross. At the cross, Jesus achieved victory, which we know about, right? But it's also on the heavenly throne that Jesus is able to apply that victory. And what the Hebrew writer says is that Jesus is going to do this one day. The, te the text says that Jesus is waiting. He's waiting to put all evil in its proper place. That those who oppose the perfect and holy God will become his footstool. And I think this is a big deal for a couple of reasons. Uh, first reason, it means that Jesus is not just the earthly king. Because he has ascended, God sees him not just as the king of Israel, but he also sees him as the universe's king. Jesus has jurisdiction over Israel, but he also has jurisdiction over all those who are outside of Israel. Everyone will have to answer to Jesus. This means people as big as presidents, celebrities, billionaires, people that we see in our world with so much influence and power in this world will all have to answer to Jesus. Second, it means that evil will not have the final say. The good news that Jesus brings is not just the forgiveness, forgiveness of sins, uh, because if that were true, the world and even the church would have no hope. Sin would never go away. And it wouldn't even matter that Jesus forgives sins. And I think in our own lives, we actually kind of understand this. Uh, so for example, how, would it, uh, how useful would it be if you, if you kept forgiving someone and they never changed? Maybe they keep lying and betraying your trust over and over again. Forgiveness is good, but you also hope in your forgiveness that they actually do stop, right? That they actually stop lying to you, lying to you or betraying you. And as Christians, we have to hope for more than forgiveness because sins doesn't, the sin doesn't go away with forgiveness. And Jesus gives us that. Because he has ascended to a position of universal authority, the world has someone who will judge sin and ultimately stop sin from ever happening again. We're all, heading, we're all heading to a future time where every person in the history of the world will be held responsible, held accountable for what they have done and even what they do in their own hearts. Because Jesus has ascended, he is able to judge everyone. Now, as we talked last Sunday about the uncomfortability of the death of God, what we also find here in the Apostles' Creed is another uncomfortable topic. Jesus judges, and that's kind of uncomfortable, and I get that. When it comes to judging others, we don't want to be perceived as maybe unloving or hateful. Um, and also, when we are judged ourselves, we actually don't want to be seen as wrong. But what I want us to understand this morning is that judgment is actually necessary in this world. Um, and that's because evil tendencies do actually exist. They actually exist in you, they exist in me, um, and they exist in other people. And that may seem harsh, but that's actually how God sees us, um, and actually in a way that's actually how we see ourselves. Um, this same argument was used by Rachel Den Hollander um, in her testimony in court against Larry Nasser. Um, Larry Nasser is the U.S. gymnastics uh, team doctor uh, who used his position to sexually abuse over 150 girls. Um, and what Rachel Den Hollander does in her testimony is that she quotes actually C.S. Lewis uh, to actually show that she can actually judge 
Larry Nasser for what he has done. So listen to these words um, from Rachel Den Hollander. Throughout this process, I have clung to a quote by C.S. Lewis, where he says, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how did I get this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he first has some idea of straight. What was I comparing the universe to when I called it unjust? And then he speaks to, she speaks to Larry Nasser here. Larry, I can call what you did evil and wicked because it was. And I know it was evil and wicked because the straight line exists. The straight line is not measured based on your perception or anyone else's perception. And this means I can speak the truth about my abuse without minimization or mitigation. And I can call it evil because I know what goodness is. Do you hear what Rachel is saying? If we live in a world where there is no straight line, we can actually not judge anyone. We have no grounds to judge anyone. Yet we all know with, from within that what Larry Nasser did is wrong. And when we do that, we actually acknowledge that there is a straight line. And I say this not to say that we're in the same boat as Larry Nasser, uh, but to show that there is a straight line that we all must be judged by. Uh, this straight line says we must not exploit others, and Larry Nasser will be judged as not doing that, which is a good thing, right? We praise that. But this also begs the question, uh, what else does this straight line say about how we should live our lives? And that's the angle I want us to look at with these first uh, couple verses. Uh, when it says that Jesus is waiting to bring all his enemies under his feet, it's claiming that Jesus knows what the straight line is. And when it comes to that straight line, Jesus will judge with no bias. He will sift through every action and inaction and every mere thought that every single human has and compare it with that straight line with fairness. He's going to sift through every single human heart to see what is truly there. Now, as I say that, hopefully you feel the weight of that. Jesus is going to judge others, but also you. On the day that Jesus comes back, he will actually find out who are actually his, who are actually the enemies and who are not. And I want that to challenge you. Are you an enemy of the one who sits at the right hand of God? That probably seems like a daunting question. But the good news is that our text actually continues. Um, our text tells us how we can actually know the answer to that question. And this leads us to our second answer this morning. Jesus ascends to intercede for us. Look with me at verse 14 again. It says, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So when Jesus judges, he will end up actually finding those who are perfect not because they were able to achieve perfection, but because a single offering has been made for them, an offering that is perfect and pays their debt, and that is the uh, death of Jesus on the cross. And that's what Jesus is constantly reminding the Father about in heaven. Um, so Jesus ascends to be the judge, right? And we get scared about that. But the thing is, Jesus also ascends to intercede for you and for me. Listen to Paul's words from Romans 8.34, uh, which I think explains this idea of, of intercession a bit more. Paul says this to the Roman Christians, Who is to condemn? That's a rhetorical question. Uh, Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding 
for us. In Romans, Paul says Jesus ascends to do an important work of interceding so that no one can condemn us. The Greek word that Paul uses for interceding means to meet with someone in order to appeal to an, uh, appeal on the behalf of another person. So in heaven, Jesus didn't just go to hang out with God or to rest from his work. He's actually quite the opposite. He goes to heaven to actually do more work, and that is the work about ta- the work of talking to God about you. He's saying to the Father, I've paid for that person's sins, and he's constantly doing that every single day in heaven. This truth that Jesus constantly intercedes is something that, we, that is so easy to miss for us. It's something that I miss myself. Um, it actually reminds me of, what, of the little appreciation I had for my parents when I was little. Um, if you don't know my story, my parents are immigrants, um, and when they came to America, they opened a Chinese restaurant. Um, and if you know anything about the restaurant business, it takes a lot of time and effort um, and my parents have been doing it for over 30 years now. They're still doing it today. Um, they're probably maybe working right now <laughs> at, in the restaurant. Um, and if you ask them why they've been doing it for so long, it's because they, not because they love cooking or serving food. It's because of their love for me and my two brothers. They sacrificed so much and worked so hard because they wanted what was best for me and my two brothers. But the thing is, when I was little, I didn't really understand that. When I was little, I only focused on their absence rather than, their, rather than seeing their love for me. I didn't see that because of their constant sacrifice. I only saw them being at the restaurant rather not, than not being at home. But because of that, they, they were able to bring food on the table to give me clothes and to give me an education. I took their constant sacrifice for granted. And what I, want us to challenge, what I want to challenge us this morning is to not do that with Jesus. Just because we don't physically see Jesus here on earth, that doesn't mean Jesus doesn't care about you. He actually cares deeply about you because he's doing the constant work of interceding on your behalf in heaven. But just like when I was younger, we go through our days where we give no thought about what Jesus is doing for us right now. Um, and if you do have a thought, it's usually negative, right? Um, that voice of, I'm alone, or Jesus doesn't care about me, is on repeat in, your, uh, repeat in your head. But that's not how Jesus is seeing it in heaven. If we look at it again, my, at, look at what my parents did. Um, they went off to work for the opposite reason. They wanted to show me that I'm actually not alone. They went to work with me in mind. And what Jesus does with ascension is actually with you in mind as well. He goes to intercede for those who have placed faith in him. But this is truth that we always forget, right? All the time we are forgetting this truth that Jesus is working, interceding on our behalf in heaven. And this is why it's so important for us to remember the third answer to our question of why is the ascension so important? What Jesus does when he ascends is that he also bears witness to us. So look with me again at verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. So what we see with the Apostles' Creed, it ends with ascension not to tell us that Jesus left us. It ends with the ascension of Jesus to tell us that Jesus never leaves us. Because what is better than having a physical Jesus beside us is 
What's better is having a Jesus within us. And that is what is accomplished by the Holy Spirit. What better way to know Jesus and his love for us than from within? Not only is Jesus constantly interceding for us in heaven, but we have the Holy Spirit who is constantly reminding us that he is with us here on earth. And that's why it's incorrect as God's people to actually say that Jesus is not with us, that he is here, not here, that he is gone. He is actually not, because within every single believer around the world and in this church resides the Spirit of God. He is in you, and you are in him. Look at what our text says as we continue in verse 16. It says this, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. So what we see here is the Hebrew writer quoting, actually, something from the book of Jeremiah, what God told the prophet Jeremiah back in the Old Testament, that God promises to make a new covenant with his people, a covenant that is better than the old one, um, and a covenant that no human can do. It's a covenant that only God can make. And what he says is that he will make a covenant as much stronger than words, a covenant that is much stronger than vows. And what he's going to do is that he's going to put himself on the minds and hearts of his people. And why that's important is that what that means is that God's people will not forget about Jesus because God will actually not allow you to forget about Jesus. And that's good news. This level of presence is love is something that we are trying to achieve all the time with our loved ones. Um, when, whenever we spend time with our family and friends, we are longing for their presence and love. This is something that we all can relate to. Um, for me, I, I do this with a group of friends that I have from college. Um, every time, every year, we actually try to do a reunion because we've made a pact to never forget about each other, to love one another. Um, and we do that because we actually spent time with one another at one point, that we showed each other that we actually love one another. And when we're together, it's great. We're laughing, right? We're making jokes. Um, we're enjoying each other's company. Um, but at the end of the day, we also know that at the end of this trip, that at the end of this reunion, that it's going to end, that we have to go our separate ways. And that's why we lean on technology, right? We want to make pictures or have videos to kind of recapture those moments of what it's like to be with one another, right? We also make sure that even though we are distant from each other, that we are texting and calling one another to say, hey, I'm thinking about you. But here's the thing. No picture, video, or phone call can replace the actual presence of your friends or loved ones. And yet, with the ascension of Jesus, that is something that we don't ever have to worry about. We don't need pictures or videos to remind us about Jesus because God puts his presence, his literal presence, within you. No matter where you go, the Holy Spirit will bear witness to you. That whenever we are forgetful and struggling to know that he is there, God says he is there. That's why we can be grateful for the ascension of Jesus. With his ascension to heaven, it's with his people in mind. Jesus is ministering in heaven on your behalf, and the Holy Spirit is ministering to you here on earth on your behalf. That's the beautiful thing about the gospel. The gospel is good news because it's not about what you are doing, but it's about what God is doing for us. 
what he is doing here on heaven and on earth. And if you notice the Apostles' Creed, it recognizes that. It says nothing about what we did. The Apostles' Creed tells a story about God creating the world and saving it. It says all that God did and continues to do, and we simply confess and believe in it. So let me go ahead and pray, and then we'll take some time to actually say the Apostles' Creed together. Father, we thank you for this time together uh, to hear from your word. We are thankful and grateful and glad that Jesus ascended into heaven after he rose again from the dead. He rules the whole universe, and we are thankful for that. Thank you that he intercedes. Thank you that you bear witness to us through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.